Thank you for joining us for another lesson from God's Word. Anytime you're in Huntsville, we hope you'll come be part of our worship. The West Huntsville Church of Christ at Providence is located at 1519 Old Monrovia Road Northwest, Huntsville, Alabama, 35806. We hope you'll enjoy this lesson brought to us by Glenn Colley. Our scripture reading today will come from Exodus chapter 11, verses 4 through 8. Exodus 11, verses 4 through 8. Then Moses said, Thus says the Lord, About midnight I will go out into the midst of Egypt, and all the firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die, from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sits on his throne, even to the firstborn of the female servant who is behind the handmill, and all the firstborn of the animals. And there shall be a great cry throughout the land of Egypt, such as was not like it before, nor shall be like it again. But against none of the children of Israel shall a dog move its tongue, against man or beast, that you may know that the Lord does make a difference between the Egyptians and Israel. And all these your servants shall come down to me and bow down to me, saying, Get out, and all the people who follow you. After that I will go out. And he went out from Pharaoh in great anger. You may be seated. And there would be great plagues that would come upon the Egyptians, but not on the Israelites. As a matter of fact, not even a a dog would wag his tongue against the Israelites. Now tonight, I'm not going to preach very long, but I came to preach about dogs. I've never done this before. But uh, it occurs to me that there are a number of passages, particularly in the Old Testament, that make reference to dogs. Now, the ones I'm talking about really are in name only, where the word dog was used to illustrate something something very, very important. And and I'm gonna I'm gonna raise five or six of them tonight. There are more, but I want to talk about the dogs of the Bible. The first one is one that's familiar to you, and perhaps all of these will be. But I want to go to 1 Samuel chapter 17. When I was a boy, I learned about David and Goliath. In the Valley of Elah, you had two armies facing off, one mountain to the other mountain, the valley between them. And you remember that the giant came out, Goliath from Gath, and he would make this proposition day after day after day that that if somebody from Israel would come and kill him, just one-on-one battle. If you win, we'll be your servants. If you win, we'll be yours. David just happened to be sent by his father Jesse to go check on his older brothers. David's a boy. David's young, and he's a shepherd, and so he's out there caring for the sheep, and and he comes in, and he just happens. He brought cheese and corn and bread just to just a little care package, and then he hears this giant. He hears this thing go on. Now, I want you to picture this. Goliath is, if you if you measure a cubit at eight to 18 inches, you know, tip of your finger to elbow, 18 inches roughly for a cubit, and then a span, and a span, it's from your tip of your pinky to your tip of your thumb if you stretch out your hand, and that's roughly nine inches, depending on your hand. But in round numbers... He was just under 10 feet tall, if those measurements are correct. Just under 10 feet tall. Now, I, you may not believe this, but I've, I've been in the room with Shaq. I've been very close physically to Shaq. We're, we're friends. 
that part's not true. But Shaq is seven foot one inch, which is to say that where, where, where do you reckon then that Shaq would come to Goliath? You know, I mean, I'm telling you that Shaq look, would look up to Goliath. Goliath would look down on Shaq O'Neal. Now, Shaq is a mountain of a man. He is, <laughs> he is huge. And David's a boy. I don't know how old he is. He's old enough to be out there in the field by himself with a shepherd, so he's not, you know, a little boy, but I guess a teenager. And around all those soldiers, and they've got their swords and their weapons and their shields. And David says, what shall be done to the man that kills Goliath? And and everybody kind of wants to know this, but the, the guys start telling him, and the prize will be that you get a beautiful woman for your wife, your house will be free in Israel, no taxation, and some riches. You're going to be rich. I mean, a lot of great stuff if you can do this. But that wasn't what was on David's mind at all. And David, David said, who's going to kill him and take the reproach away from Israel? And then this line, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? I'll fight him. I'll do it. Now I want you to parenthetically think about this. We do not consider that David might have died in this battle. Is that possible? Would God have been any less God if he'd allowed David to die? Now, before you answer, remember Daniel chapter 3, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. We're not going to bow down, Nebuchadnezzar. God is able to deliver us from you. But if not, we're still not going to bow down. You don't think like that. We don't think like that because we know what happened with David and Goliath. We know what happened. Furthermore, consider that, I, I mean, I'm not sure that a miracle occurred. Was it necessarily a miracle that, that when that stone was flung, that it struck the right place? Could it be that David was good with that sling and he whacked him right in the right place and then took, cut his head off? I'm not sure a miracle occurred. Well, i tell you what did occur is a lot of faith. From an individual. I'm in verse 26 of of 1 Samuel 17. Then David spoke to the men who stood by him saying, What shall be done to the man who kills this Philistine, takes away the reproach from Israel? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? And David's brother fusses at him. Why are you saying these things? Now David faces Goliath. And I'm down in verse 43. So the Philistine said to David, Am I a dog? That you come to me with sticks. And the, again, maybe he had st- some stones and, and a staff. And I suppose the idea was if you wanted to get rid of a dog, you might use those things, some rocks and a stick. The Philistine cursed David by his gods. And the Philistine said to David, come to me and I'll give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. But he didn't know what kind of weapon David had. And David said, you come to me with a sword, with a spear, with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. Here's a lesson I want you to take with you into the week. Sometimes you're going to find yourself in a circumstance where standing for God will mean standing by yourself. That's what David did. It may be in reference to your extended family, For some of you in this room, that's what it means to be a Christian. It may be in reference to somebody at school and the people all around you just don't believe. 
It may be about your co-workers and nobody's a Christian but you in that room and you know that. And to take a stand and say, this is what I believe, this is what the Bible says, and I'm always going to be this where I am. The lesson I want you to get from this dog, that is, Goliath called David a dog, or, or said, am I a dog, that you would do this. The lesson I want you to draw from this one is that sometimes I'm going to stand for what's right, and I'll have to stand by myself. Romans 8 and 31 says, if God be for us, who can be against us? That's David. Now, turn the page over to 1 Samuel chapter 24. So, so God has through Samuel, has told David he's going to be the next king. But there's not fanfare about that, and apparently people don't know about that. David knows it. But David's not acting on that. And yet David is working for the army now, and he is having great success. People really admire David, and Saul starts to envy David and figures that David's going to be the next one. Now, God has told Saul that he's going to take the kingdom away from him. So, so Saul is anxious, he's nervous, and he starts figuring that David's going to be the guy. Somebody comes, a spy comes to Saul and says, I know where David is. Chapter 24, verse 1, he's in the wilderness of En Gedi. Now Saul does a crazy thing. This is just nuts. But, but he has gone kind of crazy. And he, he takes his army of 3,000, he leaves the affairs of state, he leaves some people, I suppose, unprotected because he's got his army with him, and he pursues David. David. And why is that, that crazy? Well, it's, it's crazy because there's a couple of big elephants in the room, and the first one is that David's not pursuing Saul. David's not interested in hurting Saul. David's not trying to depose Saul. There's no threat here. The second thing is that God has already said to Saul, I'm going to take the throne away from you. You think that... that God's going to somehow be thwarted? You think that if, if Saul kills David, that that's going to change the fact that he's losing the throne? Saul's out. It's just a matter of time. And you're not going to thwart the power of the will of God. So, Saul takes his 3,000. They're in the wilderness of En Gedi, and they come to this cave. And Saul doesn't know it, but David and his men are inside that cave. Saul goes into the cave to relieve himself. Now, I don't know exactly how this occurred, and perhaps there was a miracle involved in this so that Saul didn't realize this, but whatever is true, here's David and his men in the darkness along the walls of that cave. And, and one of the, one of the work, the soldiers for David, servants of David said, God's given him to us. Let's take him now. We'll kill him now. And, and David said, we're not going to do it. Now, the reason is something that you need to remember. It's because, because Saul, he may be a scoundrel and a, and a terrible man, and he may be pursuing David's life, but Saul is still God's anointed. This is not our business, David's saying. It's not our business to take Saul out. We're not going to assassinate him. This is God's business, and God put Saul in this position. He's God's anointed. Saul, so David reaches down, and he cuts off a corner of Saul's robe, Saul exits the place, and when he's a fair enough distance, then you have this. I'm in 1 Samuel 24 and verse 8. David also arose afterward, went out of the cave, and called out to Saul, saying, My lord the king. When Saul looked behind him, David stooped with his face to the ground and bowed down. And David said to Saul, Why do you listen to the words of men who say, Indeed, David seeks your harm? Look, this day your eyes have seen that the Lord delivered you to, 
today into my hand in the cave and someone urged me to kill you. But my eye spared you and I said, I will not stretch out my hand against my Lord for he's the Lord's anointed. Moreover, my father, see, see, yes, the corner of your robe in my hand for in that I cut off the corner of your robe, I did not kill you. No, and see, there's neither evil nor rebellion in my hand and I have not sinned against you. Yet you hunt for my life to take it. Let the Lord be judged between you and me. Let the Lord avenge me on you, but my hand shall not be against you. As the proverb of the ancient says, wickedness proceeds from the wicked, but my hand shall not be against you. Now 14. After whom has the king of Israel come out? Whom do you pursue? A dead dog? A flea? Therefore let the Lord be judge, and judge between you and me, and see and plead my case, and deliver me out of your hand. So it was, when David had finished speaking these words to Saul, that Saul said, Is this your voice, my son David? And Saul lifted up his voice and wept. Saul is so very troubled. Then he said to David, You're more righteous than I, for you have rewarded me with good, whereas I have rewarded you with evil. And as we launch into this week, what I want to draw from this, the application is this. If I'm not careful in my life, I will misappropriate the resources that God has put in my charge. And that's what Saul was doing right here. He had the kingdom. He had the power. The very idea that he had the power to to garner 3,000 soldiers right now and call them to his side. But now why is he doing it? To pursue David. This is all wrong. It's just all wrong. Why would he do such a thing? Selfishness, pride, his arrogance. And he's pushing back against God, but he's got the power to do it. And yet, it's a misappropriation of resources. I want you to think about all that God has blessed you with. Materially, physically, spiritually, everything God has given to you in your life. Right here you sit. Here we are in this auditorium. We're worshiping God right now. Think about all the resources with which he's blessed you. Are we using any of those resources in a way that truly is misappropriation? If it comes time to worship God, Hebrews 10 and 25, and I forsake that assembly, forsake doesn't mean that I cannot come. It means I choose not to come. I just prefer not to come, so I do something else. And I would argue it's a misappropriation of resources. God has blessed me, but I'm using those resources in a way he wouldn't approve. In Luke chapter 15, you have the prodigal son, and here he is in the faraway country. Imagine somebody coming up as the the young man is saying in this saloon, this bar, he says drinks for everybody they're on me and somebody comes and sit by us sits and says so where are you from well i have a i have a father and he has uh, servants and it's a very successful farming arrangement and who would believe the boy and especially after he's feeding the swine go ahead and let him try to explain it then the point is nobody's going to believe him because he doesn't look like somebody who has a father like that who loves him because he's misappropriating the resources Let's make sure you and I don't do that. The fall is coming. Everybody loves football. Make sure that you study God's word at least as much or more than you study football. Make sure you don't have your kids in sports when you need to have them in worship because it's a misappropriation of resources. Make sure that the money that God has blessed you with isn't used for entertainment sources that he would find deeply offensive. It's a misappropriation of resources. And that's what Saul has done when he's drawing that army out with 3,000. He leaves the affairs of state to draw the army out. 
into this wilderness to try to hunt down an innocent man. Now, the next dog. I want to go to first, uh, Second Samuel now. Let's go to chapter 9, Second Samuel 9. I love this one. And so now David is king. Saul is dead. Jonathan, his son, is dead. David is, is the king. And David cries out to one of the servants and says, Is there a descendant of Saul? And the answer was, well, actually, yes, there's a grandson. Saul's grandson is Mephibosheth. He's Jonathan's son, and he's lame in his feet. Not lame in his foot, but lame in his feet. This man can't walk. Both feet lame. I want you to bring him to me. Well, now this is kind of nervous, don't you think? Because it wasn't so uncommon for a king, a new king, to seek out the descendants of the old king and kill him. Because you have this, well, you know, this politically. They could come up and say, did you like my dad? I'm just like him, so I'm going to be king now. And he could take over the throne. So it wasn't uncommon to take their lives. And so you got any descendants of Saul? Saul was the enemy of David. The answer was, yeah, one, Mephibosheth, bring him. And so they bring Mephibosheth. I expect he's scared to death. And he can't even walk, the poor guy. He can't even walk. I'm in, uh, I'm in 2 Samuel chapter 9 and verse 7. So David said to him, Do not fear, for I will surely show you kindness for Jonathan, your father's sake. And I'll restore to you all the land of Saul, your grandfather, and you shall eat bread at my table continually. Now verse 8. Here's the dog. Then he bowed himself, Mephibosheth bowed before David and said, What is your servant that you should look upon such a dead dog as I? A dead dog is not only worth nothing, he's worth negative because it's going to take you some time to eliminate that carcass. I mean, this is, it's, it's a, it's a hindrance. It's a, it's a problem that has to be resolved. It's, he's, he's worth less than nothing. You're going to eat the king's table. It's, it's the, it's the way that Mephibosheth views himself. I don't think he had to view himself that way. I mean, I understand the danger involved, but couldn't Mephibosheth have, have been proud and said, instead of this, couldn't he have been proud and said, well, thanks a lot, King David. I appreciate that, but you know, you deserve, I mean, I deserve this. My father befriended you at a point when he could have had you killed. All he had to do was to turn you into Saul, and Saul would have had your neck. I appreciate this, but I deserve it. I am the descendant of King Saul. I am the son of your friend Jonathan. We've done a lot for you. That wasn't his attitude. That wasn't it at all. Okay, here's the lesson for this week. Ready? I am valuable. I know that. Psalm 8 and verse 4. What is man that thou art mindful of him, the son of man that thou visitest him? I mean, that my, my Lord went to the cross and died for me. There's a value there. And yet, Ephesians 4 and verse 1 says, Paul wrote, I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called with all loneliness and meekness and long-suffering, forbearing one another in love. What's that? That's the attitude that you see depicted by Mephibosheth. He's not boastful. He's not proud. He, what he is is humble and grateful. And we need to be that way. All right, here's the next one. I'm in Second Kings now, chapter 8. This one may be a little less familiar to you, but it's, um, it's an important one for this lesson. 
So Elisha, verse 7, I'm in 2 Kings 8 and verse 7. Elisha went to Damascus and Benadad, king of Syria, was sick. And it was told him, saying, the man of God has come here to their town. And the king said to Hazael, take a present in your hand and go meet the man of God, Elisha, and inquire of the Lord by him, saying, shall I recover from this disease? All right, so the king of Syria knows the man of God, Elisha, is connected to God. He sends his servant, uh, um, Hazael, and says, find out from him if I'm going to survive. So Hazael comes, and he's in the, the presence of Elisha. Verse 9, Hazael went to meet him and took a present with him, every good thing of Damascus. Verse 10, uh, let's see, I'm sorry, back up in verse 9. Uh, and he came and stood before him and said, Your son, Benadad, king of Syria, has sent me to you, saying, Shall I recover from this disease? Elisha said to him, Go say to him, You shall surely recover. Now, there must sometimes you read the Bible, quote like this, and, you know, you wish you could see the face, because this is pure D sarcasm. It's just plain old sarcasm. You go tell him, you'll surely recover. And then he, he said, however, the Lord has shown me that he will really die. Then he set his countenance in a stare until he was ashamed, and the man of God wept. Hazael just looked at him and thought, what are you talking about? And Elisha began to cry, and Hazael said, why is my Lord weeping? He answered, because I know the evil that you will do to the children of Israel. And it's, it's awful. Listen to this. Their strongholds you will set on fire, and their young men you will kill with a sword. You'll dash their children and rip open their women with child. Thirteen. Here's the dog. So Hazael said, but what is your servant? A dog? That he should do this gross thing? And Elisha answered, the Lord has shown me that you will become king over Syria. Then he departed from Elisha and came to his master, who said to him, you're going to love this, what did Elisha say to you? And he answered, he told me you would surely recover. But it happened on the next day that he took a thick cloth, dipped it in water, and spread it over his face so that he died, and Hazael reigned in his place. Now, here's where I want to go with this one to make application for our week. I'm going to give Hazael the benefit of the doubt. You may think that's too generous, and perhaps it is. But just a reading the text may give you the impression that Hazael really didn't believe he would do those things. He, he didn't really hadn't made up his mind to do those things. And then he let sin in the door, he let Satan in, and gradually he got to this awful spot. Now, I do not know if that's true. I want to be... Because the way the text reads, if you'll allow me, let's make our applications based on that supposition that Hazael at that moment did not believe. When he said, do you think I'm a dog that I would do these gross, these awful things, these atrocities? Do you think I'm like that? And maybe in his mind he thought, I would never do those things. A couple of days later, he was starting it. And then before long, he was where the prophet had said, let's use this for the application. This is such an important thing. In my life, let me resist sin. Not just because every sin is against God, but because every sin has the potential of growing beyond what I ever thought it would. I talked to a man on the phone this past week, and 
He's an accountability partner with me. He lives in a different state from you and me. And I really like him. I've never met him face to face, but he and his wife had some problems. And so he became an accountability partner. And we've been doing this now for almost two years. And he said on the phone, Glenn, um, the marriage is doing good. We're happy. We're doing well. And it's been, next week it's going to have been two years. I said, oh, I'm, I just think that's great. I'm so happy for you and for your wife. Now, if I was the devil, what I would do to you is to make you feel euphoric about this to where you would be less careful about temptation. After all, you know, you've been two years. You could handle a little bit of this or that, couldn't you? Sometimes an innocent flirtation. A man becomes rather cavalier about that. Married man becomes cavalier. And he starts taking liberties, electric conversations, things that he shouldn't be doing. But after all, it, in itself, he might argue, it's not a sin. And yet one thing leads to another. I can tell you this. Every man, I suppose, married man who ever broke his marriage vow in the way that you know I'm describing started with something like that. Same is true about alcohol, isn't it? Everybody who ended up an alcoholic and killing somebody on a highway or with a gun or with whatever, I, you know what? They didn't start out thinking that's what I'm going to do. Nobody ever does that. They started out thinking I can control this. This will be all right. I, I don't know what sin doesn't fall into a similar category that I could, I start somewhere and then if I'm not careful, I get to where I do not or cannot control it anymore. And what you have here is Hazael. He did a terrible thing. Sometimes I may associate with godless, liberal thinkers. think I can handle it and I start taking liberties. I start enjoying their company. I start talking like them and maybe adopting some of their philosophies. Remember Psalm 1 and verse 1 says this, Blessed is the man that walks not in the counsel of the ungodly. And the next, it's a digression. Nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. And suddenly I find myself like Hazael, and I'm doing just what the prophet said I would do. Didn't see it coming. Didn't mean for it to happen. Let's do one more. I'm in Proverbs now, chapter 26 and verse 11. And this is very short, but it's going to take us to the New Testament. Ugh returns to his own vomit. So a fool repeats his folly. Now that's just gross. I know that is Gross. Why would this be in the Bible? Why would it be there? And the answer is he wants to illustrate. He wants just to let you know just how he feels about this. And whatever cringe worthiness you see in this is on purpose. He wants you to know how he sees it. I'm in Second Peter now, chapter 2, verse 22. But it's happened to them according to the true proverb. A dog returns to his own vomit. And a sow having been washed to her wallowing in the mire. Is there, there's, here's the application from this dog. Is there something in your life that you escaped from? Something wrong, something sinful, something evil that you one time participated in? You fought it and fought it hard and you won the war. You won the battle against it and no longer is that part of your life. If so, you must be very careful not to return to it. Be very careful not to take liberties along those lines. If you don't want to fall down, don't walk in slippery places. 
Galatians 2 and 18 is a verse that I, that I think about often about the Apostle Paul. He was a Jew of Jews, a Pharisee. He was a hater of Christians, a persecutor of Christians. You know about him. And then there came this time in Galatians chapter 2 where Peter, the Apostle, and some others, they, they wouldn't sit and eat with the Gentile Christians. It wasn't that they didn't know that, that the gospel was for all. It, and it wasn't they didn't know that the Gentiles really were Christians. It's just that old habits are hard to break. And even Peter, when he saw some Jews coming in there, he got up from the table with the Gentiles and he, he wouldn't associate with them. And Paul got up in Peter's face and rebuked him. And here's what he said. And I want you to remember this. For if I build again those things which I destroyed, I make myself a transgressor. Would you just apply that to your own life? Are there things in your past of which you're ashamed? The dark, distant past, maybe. You got rid of them. Let Paul's words echo in your mind, in your soul. I won't build again the things which I once destroyed, because I will make myself a transgressor. Well, there you are. You just heard a sermon on dogs. There's so many practical lessons in Scripture. Don't you love to study the Bible? Don't you love to say the Word of God? Hope it's a great week for you. Stay close to Jesus. Remember who you are. Is there someone here tonight who wants to obey the gospel? Maybe you've been studying about this. You've learned what to do to become a Christian and you're ready to hear the Word of God, to believe it and believe Jesus is His Son, to repent of your sins, confess Him, I believe that Jesus is the Son of God, Romans chapter 10 and verse 10, and that to be immersed in water, immersed in water to have your sins washed away, we'd be so happy to help you. If you need the prayers of the Christians, we'll be so happy to help you. We hope you have enjoyed this lesson from God's Word, brought to us by Glenn Colley. If you have comments or questions, Glenn can be reached by email at colley at westhuntsville.org.